Well, welcome uh, to a time of worship here from Buclew. Uh, hopefully, uh, only uh, one more week after this of being online and then we're, we're shifting. Hopefully everyone's heard uh, 10.30 morning services, 5.30 evening services, both uh, in the church building, both uh, being live streamed. So that'll be uh, nice uh, to get uh, study uh, back into the church building. Um, we've got two weeks uh, to go in our uh, study in the life of Gideon as well. Uh, so we'll get there momentarily. But let me begin reading from uh, the letter of James, chapter 1 and at verse 16, where we read, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's pray together briefly as we begin. Lord our God, we want to stop and pause and consider with thankfulness all your gifts to us this day. We thank you for the gift of life. We know that you are the author and the sustainer of life. We thank you for our health and our strength, for our families and our friends. For those of us who have opportunities to work, we thank you for our work. We thank you for money that we have, the food that's in our cupboards and our fridges. We thank you for the opportunities that we have being in this part of the world. We thank you for the beauty of the summer months, for the sunshine that we have enjoyed, for hearing and seeing so much of life. We thank you for the gift of education and health care. And Lord, we thank you especially for the gift of your words in our own language. We thank you for the gift of the church, for your design of the church as a way to reveal the gospel, the good news, as your kingdom, an expression of your kingdom here on the earth. Lord, we thank you for the sending of your son Jesus to be that promised saviour who would take away the sin of his people by dying in our place as that sacrifice that would turn away the wrath that we deserve to face, as Jesus would take that on himself so that we might be able to enjoy peace with you and from you to enjoy eternal life. So Lord, as we spend this time together, will you give us that sense of, of gratitude and thankfulness, um, especially as we think about the danger of success and that complacency that can come in, the forgetfulness of you that can come in. May we be a people dependent on you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read together from the book of Judges um, and Judges chapter 8. And we're going to read the first uh, 21 verses of this section of the Gideon story. Uh, not such a familiar story, perhaps. Uh, the 6 and 7 tend to be well known. Uh, this is in some ways the, the forgotten aspect of uh, the, the Gideon story. But there's important lessons for us uh, in this. So, uh, Judges chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, 
Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. But he answered them, What have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, their resentment against him subsided. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Succoth, Give my troops some bread. They are worn out and I am still pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Succoth said, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Then Gideon replied, Just for that, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. From there he went up to Peniel and made the same request of them, but they answered as the men of Succoth had. So he said to the men of Peniel, When I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with a force of about 15,000 men, all that were left of the armies of the eastern peoples. 120,000 swordsmen had fallen. Gideon went up by the route of the nomads east of Nobat and Jogbaha and attacked the unsuspecting army. Zeba and Zalmunna, the two kings of Midian, fled, but he pursued them and captured them, routing their entire army. Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle by the pass of Heres. He caught a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And the young man wrote down for him the names of the seventy-seven officials of Succoth, the elders of the town. Then Gideon came and said to the men of Succoth, Here are Zeba and Zalmana, about whom you taunted me by saying, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmana in your possession? Why should we give bread to your exhausted men? He took the elders of the town and taught the men of Succoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. He also pulled down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the town. Then he asked Zeba and Zalmana, What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you, they answered, each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon replied, These were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As sure as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his eldest son, he said, Kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. Zeba and Zalmanah said, Come, do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments off their camels' necks. Amen. This is God's word. So we're thinking today about the danger of success. I guess if we grew up in, in, in church, in Sunday school, we, we would have loved uh, the Gideon of chapters 6 and 7, the, the humble hero and his remarkable uh, victory from God. Chapter 8, however, it doesn't often feature in our thinking, doesn't often make its way to uh, our Sunday school lessons, but there is an important lesson from Gideon and it's a reminder of the danger of success. Because what happens in Gideon's life, there is a, a gradual, well in many ways, a quick slide into forgetfulness of God's grace, that it was God who had won this remarkable victory. There is a movement, a swift movement towards self-importance where he's putting himself centre stage, trust me, trust my strength, not trust God. And the impact is that his dealings with his enemies and with his friends, with the people of God, become ugly. Because Gideon and not God is central. Uh, we've probably seen, we've probably read stories um, where someone is a, a victim of their own success, uh, as it's often called, you know, maybe the, the young footballer, uh, who quickly becomes the global star but can't handle the pressure and his career never takes off and perhaps personal life 
so spirals. Uh, the business professional who enjoys quick promotions, rapid rise, a rising star in their industry, they start believing their own hype and they become a terrible boss. Well, our focus today uh, isn't so much on that, it's, it's on the danger of spiritual success, uh, where perhaps uh, we enjoy some kind of uh, success as a gift from God, but we're taking glory to ourselves, where we're taking God for granted, where we're basing our identity not on the reality that we're saved by God's grace, but we're basing our identity on our success. And so to help us to, to see the danger of success, we're going to look at the good, the bad and the ugly in Gideon's dealings with others. So let's begin with the good uh, in the way that he deals with Ephraim, the people of Ephraim in the first three verses. Now one backdrop we begin to see in the, the story of Gideon is that God's people are slipping into old and bad ways. The book of Judges has got this cycle uh, that God raises up a, a judge and, and the people sort of turn back to God but as soon as that judge is gone they, they turn back, they start worshipping uh, false gods, they, they turn to evil and, and God sends oppressors um, and then the people cry out and, and God sends another judge in his grace. Well, uh, we see God's people even here slipping into, into old bad ways. We see disunity. We see a lack of trust that Ephraim here has towards Gideon. Here there is tension after uh, the battle. So Gideon and his 300, uh, remarkably, uh, it's God who wins the battle, uh, are, are dominating Midian. Midian's on the run. Ephraim uh, are, are called out and they... Uh, capture these two uh, leaders, important leaders, Oreb and Zeb. Um, but there's tension straight after the battle because because Ephraim saying, "Why didn't you call us out first? The implication is we are the elite, Gideon. Uh, there is pride going on in the hearts of uh, this uh, people group, and, and and what we see, and we see it so often, don't we? Pride is is ugly, and pride tends to damage and and sometimes even to destroy relationships. Now we see. Relations strained because of Ephraim's pride. But Gideon's response is one of grace. This is where he makes a good response. Proverbs chapter 15 says a gentle answer turns away wrath. That's what Gideon's answer is like, isn't it? What am I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? Your leftovers are better than my feast, Gideon is saying. He's humble and he's, he's gracious. And the outcome is that the, the, the temperature in the room is cooled. He keeps God's people together for now. So this case is so far so good. Uh, but then there's a turn. Uh, verse 4, uh, all the way to verse 17, we can see the bad. Uh, as Gideon deals with Succoth and with Peniel. Um, and again, as we see sort of issues uh, within the people of God, what we see from them is, is fear. And also a lack of faith. Um, but Gideon comes with his troops in verse 4. Gideon and his 300, they're exhausted. They're, they're pursuing the enemy. They came to the Jordan. They crossed over the Jordan. And Gideon said to the men, give my troops some bread. They're worn out and I'm still pursuing. And then he goes and he says the same to uh, the people in Peniel. My troops, they're tired, they're hungry. Can you give us some food? Can you refresh us? And remember, uh, Gideon and those 300, they're fighting the Lord's battle. And remember, Succoth and Peniel are in the promised land. So these are friends, not enemies. They are 
border towns. Uh, they're close by each other. They're on the outer edges of the promised land. But these are among God's people. But there is fear. Fear that comes out, in, in a sense, in disrespect. Verse 6. The officials of Succoth said, Do you already at the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? And then Peniel answers in the same way. And there's the fear. Gideon, we're not sure that you're going to win. Um, and if Gideon doesn't win, uh, then these border towns are directly in Midian's firing lane. And so what they choose to do, they choose to sit on the fence. We'll help you come back for bread once uh, you have won that victory. Um, so again, it's not a great sign spiritually, is it? Here is Gideon clearly um, filled with the Spirit, uh, appointed by God to be the people's leader and judge, but they don't choose to follow they don't choose to give aid in this battle that God has established against his enemies. Now, how does Gideon respond? And this is where we begin to get evidence of, of what we're calling the danger of success. Verse 7, because you don't give me bread, I'm going to tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. Now, is that a right response? Is that a gracious response? No. And just as important, is that a command from God? No. Verse 9, when the people of Peniel say, no, when I return and triumph, I'll tear down this tower. Now, is that an appropriate response? Is that an appropriate measure? You don't give me bread, so I'm going to smash down your city tower. The problem that we're beginning to see is that when Gideon knew his weakness, chapter 6, chapter 7, when Gideon knew his dependence on God, we see him as a man who worships. And we see him as a man of prayer. We see him as a man who entrusts himself at every point to God, dependent on God's strength. But now that he's got a sense of his strength, that reliance on God is gone. And it's replaced by a need to be recognised, a need for his strength to be seen. He's become, in that sense, too tied to um, his success. He's claiming it as his own. So now he's furious uh, when uh, these two towns don't recognise uh, his power and the certainty of his success. The outcome is a bad one. The outcome is a terrible one. Verse 13 to 16, first thing he does is he captures a young man in Succoth. He interrogates him, gets this list of the 77 uh, town leaders and he gives them that lashing that he promised and then in verse 17 it gets worse he goes to Peniel and, he, and just as he said he pulls down the tower but he doesn't stop there in his rage he engages in murder now it's so important for us to, to recognise that not every action in the Bible is an action that God approves of not every action in the Bible is an is an action that comes from God. At times, evil and folly are highlighted. And here we see wickedness and folly from Gideon. What, what Gideon discovered and, and dealt with so badly is the reality that sometimes God's people, people in God's church, will disappoint us. Sometimes they will turn on us and be hostile to us if we are um, in in leadership perhaps as, as elders that people will not listen uh, to us perhaps but 
we must be careful not to lash out. We must be careful not to forget God's grace and to pass that grace forward. And on the flip side, we must strive personally not to be the cause of disunity, not to sap energy away from God's work because we're um, either in pride or, or, or a lack of faith. We're just causing problems. So that's the bad. Things are going to get even worse. Let's think about the ugly as he deals with Ziba and Zalmunna. Now we know this and we don't have to go uh, too far in, in history. Uh, we can see it, I think, in some of the, uh, the stories playing out in different nations, even today. Tragic stories uh, where a leader um, or, or a group of leaders come to power and prominence and, and they use that status, use that role to then take personal revenge uh, on opponents, to continue a, a vendetta where there's no concern for national interest, but, but just a concern for settling personal scores. A level of injustice. See it. And we have seen it through history and in our world. Well, what happens with Gideon uh, and these two Zs, Ziba and, and Zalmana? He in, interrogates them. And it becomes clear is that he's focusing on one specific thing. Uh, when he, he asks them, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Gideon replied in verse 19, these were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. Surely as the Lord lives, if you'd spared their lives, I would not kill you. You killed my brother, so I'm going to kill you. This has become a family thing. And we see that it's become a, a family thing and it's become a personal thing because of what happens with poor Jether. Jether, I'm not sure how to say his name. But Gideon's eldest son, Gideon wants to, as it were, to, to blood him, uh, to get him used to uh, this kind of activity. Turning to Jether, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. And as we read this, I think the, the author wants us to have sympathy for Jether against his sort of furious dad, Gideon, who's engaged in this personal vendetta. But, but um, Gideon concludes this campaign of personal revenge. And what we see is that he's set, in a sense, a sad pattern that will then repeat in the life of Samson. Samson, another one of those famous judges. Uh, but, but so often where Samson is using his God-given strength, it's to settle personal scores. It's about his own self-interest rather than the national interest. And we begin to see that in the story of Gideon. And it's ugly, isn't it? The story of God's victory against his enemies who are oppressing God's people is now tainted by Gideon's score settling and brutal revenge. And so the danger of success, I hope, becomes clear to us in the life of Gideon. He lost his appreciation of God's grace so quickly with the result that he's claiming glory for himself. And what we don't see him do is we don't see him pray, we don't see, see him seek God's wisdom or direction in, the, in this whole thing. He's going his own way, pursuing his own course. And so chapter 8 stands for us as an object lesson, both individually and as a church, to be on guard when things are going well for us. So 
So let's just move it to the level of personal, just for a few moments, to examine our own lives and to ask the question, how do we, how do you and I, how do we handle success? Perhaps you want to put yourself in, in, in the workplace setting, in your career or in your field of study. And perhaps you want to put it in, in a family setting to think about um, the success of children or, or grandchildren, perhaps. Maybe you want to think about projects and plans that you have put in place and they have prospered. When they go well, when they have gone well, do we see some of Gideon in us? Where we can easily forget that every good gift comes from God. We forget his gift. We forget his grace towards us. Have we become puffed up in pride, where we're boasting uh, to others, where we are uh, lording it over others because of our success, where, where we use it as a springboard uh, to claim authority over others. It's the danger of success that can so easily creep into our own lives. So what's, the, what's the better way? As Christians, what's the better way? Well, it's to remember what we read in the James chapter 1, that every good and perfect gift is from God. Therefore, she will receive a thankfulness. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes to, to them with their tendency towards pride, what do you have that you did not receive, he says? And why are you boasting since everything you have comes as a gift from God? So the right response is, is the response of humility, of thankfulness to God, and, and even directing others away from praising us to see God's hand. Not in a pious way, but in a, in a real way. Recognising all we have comes from God. And that we would be prayerful. Because if Gideon teaches us anything, he teaches us that we need to be on guard against pride because because Gideon seems to change so quickly um, after the battle so we need to be on guard against pride and against self-reliance when things go well so easy uh, to work on the basis of our own skill set on the basis of our own personality or temperament or record of success rather than being thankful for those but constantly entrusting ourselves day by day situation by situation to God and asking for his help. But what about in our church? Um, if you're involved in a ministry or a service, how does it play out then? Do we find that we are quick to claim glory or to, to look for the praise of others? Or do we want to honour others and to honour God most of all? Well, we face opposition of whatever kind. Are we gracious? Uh, in dealing with that? Or do we find ourselves asserting our credentials to say, listen to me and follow my way? Will we gladly highlight our weakness, our failures, our absolute dependence on God in order to celebrate that God's grace is sufficient for us and that his strength is made perfect in our weakness? Let me read... Uh, from Ephesians chapter 2 and at verse 8, where we read, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, 
so that no one can boast. So God saves by grace and all room for boasting is removed. And then verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God strengthens us with his grace and we work by grace as we are in Christ Jesus and we do that for God's glory and not our own, that we remain servants. We don't think of ourselves as kings and queens, but we are servants of our God so that success wouldn't change us and pull us away from our God. And then as we close, let's consider Jesus. Jesus, the one who is the greater than Gideon. Gideon's problem, as we've seen, is that he lost sight of God's grace and he began to pursue his own campaign and his own agenda. And the result was that his leadership was tainted. He is a flawed leader. What we see is the, the people of God being torn apart rather than brought together. And it becomes evident that Gideon is not the kind of leader that God's people need. But Jesus, Jesus is so different, isn't he? Jesus always pursued his father's will and his father's glory. Now he would say to the crowd, I, I, I say and do nothing except what my father gives me to say and do. And that ultimately would lead him gladly to die on the cross for proud, self-reliant sinners like us. And how does Jesus deal with his people's weak faith when he finds it? Remember Jesus' heart. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly. You'll find rest for your souls. Jesus is the one who will not crush the bruised reed. And so we see it with his disciples. He graciously restores them beyond their failures, beyond running away, beyond their misunderstanding. He prays for them in their weakness. And he shows them more and more of his love and his grace. He draws them graciously to himself. So we can take heart for Christians. Jesus is not going to be the, the, the leader who's going to whip us into shape, who's going to smash us for our weakness. Rather, he will extend to us that gentle, loving correction. He will seek to point us back to him and to trust in him so that we would uh, come to celebrate more and more God's grace to us in Christ to see that Jesus is the one we need to trust in the one we need to look to so we are to beware the danger of success of attributing it to ourselves and losing sight of our God but we are also to be encouraged. Be encouraged by the success of Jesus. Be encouraged by the success of God's salvation plan. That Jesus has died to take away the sin of his people. He has died to bring us to God. He has risen to give us eternal life. He has sent the Spirit as he promised. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us. He will not fail to save and to keep his own. So while we watch out for the danger of success and what that can do to our hearts, 
we never want to lose sight of the glorious success of Jesus and the gospel. Let's pray together briefly. Lord, we recognise in our own hearts our, our tendency for a success to be a difficult thing to handle, for the times that we become complacent or we become cocky, for when we take glory to ourselves and we forget to be thankful, for the way that it makes us rely on ourselves and think that we've figured things out rather than trusting in you. Lord, please help us to learn humility and thankfulness and prayerful dependence. Help us to learn from Gideon. But more than that, help us to be looking to Jesus. Thank you that he succeeds where we fail. Thank you for his complete success of his rescue mission and the good news that that brings for us. And thank you that when we fail, that Jesus doesn't crush us and condemn us the way Gideon did to, to Succoth and Peniel. Thank you that he is willing to gently and humbly correct and restore. So please help us in this coming week to be looking to him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, conclude uh, the time that we have together uh, singing, uh, first of all, yet not I, but through Christ in me great reminder of that humility and ongoing dependence and then we'll also sing Psalm 63, the first eight verses. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer There is no Through Christ in me. 
fate I dread I know I am forgiven The future sure The price it has been paid For Jesus bled And suffered for my pardon And he was raised To overthrow the grave To this I hold my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Joyful lips will say 
soul is fed with richest fare. Upon my bed I lie awake, and in my thoughts remember you. I Yo! Yeah.